On the Virtual Bible Study tonight, we're going to talk about questions from our listeners. Yeah, this is one of our favorite kind of programs tonight. We, we've got some questions that have been sent in over the last recent weeks, and uh, people just asking questions. Really, none of them are connected with the others at all. They're all different. Uh, but just interesting little questions. Wouldn't take a, a whole program to discuss them, but we can spend several minutes talking about each one. We've got about five questions. That this we... is attention deficit disorder friendly tonight. Yeah. If you miss, if you kind of, if you doze off or if you get distracted, come back and catch the next question. All right. We're going to get started right now. It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, Internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 93- 3-1-381-4567 or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And we welcome you into the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, August 6, 2020. Thank you for joining us on the program tonight. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, is here. Hello, Dad. Great to be with you, Jacob. Kyle's behind the controls. Kyle, welcome. It's always good to be. Glad that you're here. Glad that you're on the other end of the line tonight. We want to hear from you at 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com and in the chat room to the bottom of your video feed if you're watching us on the program live tonight. Looking forward to an important discussion tonight, Dad. Yeah, we sent out we sent out five questions that we've received from our listeners uh, to our update list earlier today. We always remind you to get on our update list by sending us an email to questions at collegeview.com. And to our update list, we sent out these five questions. I'm not going to read them all because they're all so different. I know you're going too far ahead. But we'll just tease with the first one, which I think is actually the easiest one. Yeah. Uh, is the reason we spell God with a capital G because it's sacred, just out of superstition, or because our language requires it? I think we can answer that in 30 seconds. But, but before we do that, yeah. we've got some uh, business from last week to tidy up. Towards the end of our program last week, uh, Josh McCord joined us on the program, and uh, we were talking about the news and, uh, and you know, what, how should Christians... Uh, respond or how should we view news and should we step back and consider our viewing and habits we, and we talk news? about the fact that the news is a, a pretty detrimental to us spiritually in many ways yeah and so josh uh, issued this challenge he said hey why don't uh we see if anybody be interested in say, laying off the news for a week and uh dwight uh, out in iowa he chimed in in the chat room and said, sign me up for that, and he was going to try it. And so he's on the phone now tonight to give he's us, gonna give us his, his, uh, testimonial. testimonial as to a week's experiment with no news. But before, we've got to make sure. Uh, Dwight, are you still alive? I'm still here. Oh, it worked. And, All right. and you, haven't, you haven't died of withdrawal symptoms or anything? Yeah. No, I'm not yet. Well, <laughs> not yet. I'm actually feeling pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us how it went, Dwight. Well, you know, I was just um, going through the the first week that I that I've done this. I'm going to try to continue on. I get up in the morning, and my normal routine is to take in, you know, turn on the news and see what's going on in the world, you know, and and all the the different things that are happening here in Iowa, and and what the governor is saying about different things. 
And when I didn't do that this week, I felt myself not being affected at all. And I honestly enjoyed the fact that I was able to get up in the mornings and um, read the Bible and do my studies instead of watching the news. And I thought to myself, you know, when I look at the gospel, what is the gospel but the good news? And to me, it was like, I, I've got to take and read the good news out so, of the, the Bible. So you were sort of, of, you were sort of, you're sort of using the good news in the place of the typically bad news that you usually started your day with. Exactly. Yeah. No. And it's, you know, I, you take away something and you, you fill it back up with something else. And hopefully when people do that, they, they fill something up that's negative with something positive. And that's what I was trying to do this week. And I, you know, I can't say I was perfect at it. You know, I, I didn't read for an hour, but, but I got, you know, 15, 20 minutes worth of studying in because um, hopefully we're going to be going back to our Sunday morning Bible class here soon. And I'm the teacher of that. And I got back into the book of first Thessalonians where I'm studying and it's like, you know, the gospel has got to be taught, and, and in order to teach it, we got to know what the good news is. Now, Dwight, did you find yourself uh, thinking more about spiritual things than uh, maybe some of the things you had previously been exposed to in the news going on in the world around you? Did you feel like your head was clearer to think about those things? Well, absolutely. I, I, I was more focused in the morning because... As I was sitting there, I, you know, things were quiet around me at the kitchen table, and I'm, I'm thinking about spiritual things as I was doing this, and it's like, you know what, I am not distracted with, with the coronavirus for a change. You know, I'm not distracted by um, whether or not our schools are going to be opening up or not. I'm not distracted by, you know, things that are going across, going on across the nation. Yeah. And, and across yeah. the world. Now, so, yeah, just just I mean, to ask, was... just to ask you facetiously, Dwight, you're there in Ames, Iowa. Uh, you mm-hmm. worship in Des Moines, but you live in Ames, and Ames is a big university town. Uh, uh, Iowa State University is in Ames, Iowa, where you live, and, and of course, Des Moines is the state capital. And uh, so, do you think? that you were disconnected from news developments either in your local town of Ames in the state capital at Des Moines or in the, in the national capital at Washington DC you think that they do you think that they missed out by not having you on the line you think that you think that that somehow or another all the news developments were somehow uh, negatively affected by the fact that you weren't listening well, I'm I'm sure that somebody picked up where I left off. So, but you know, my point I, is, I, my point is, we don't have any control over those things anyway, and so uh, no, we really don't. Yeah. And and whether whether I was concerned about something or worried about something wasn't going to make a hill a difference. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And Dwight, did you did you miss out on hearing about the shenanigans that the immoral Hollywood uh, stars were engaged in over the last week? Did you do you feel like you needed to catch up on that? Or, I didn't uh, even hear about it. Yeah, yeah. 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 I'm not even sure what you're talking about there. Uh, yeah. Well, there's. Uh, I don't think you were talking about anything specific. Just saying, there's just always, always something there's in the always news. Something some kind in of scandal news. in the news. Yeah. And yeah you, you don't know about so it. So, your your bottom line, Dwight, you're reporting a very positive experience by just kind of shutting the news off and going on about your life. 
Yeah, and you know, here here's the thing. A person can 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 say the news is is uh uh distracting and 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 be bad in a person's life to a certain extent. But there's a lot of things that we need to um take into consideration other than just the news that can distract us and and deter us from doing good and 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 even being worried about things the news causes a lot of people to worry exactly but there's a, there's a lot of other things out there in this world that cause us to worry and if we had god in our lives um more you know cast all our cares upon him for he cares for us that's what he tells us exactly you know good good point dwight good point so dwight you're recommending the news uh the news challenge that that josh issued you're, you're recommending that to others it sounds like i would like to see if if we could have more people give it a try you know you may some people may not feel like it's um changed anything in their life one way or the other but for me, like I said, I find myself um, being a little bit more calm and relaxed in the mornings and focused on on spiritual things. Because I tell you what, just like anybody who works out in the world, you go out there and, you, you know, studying God's word builds your armor up. And that's what we need to do to, to stand against the wiles of the devil. We might issue another challenge. Do I don't know how how long are you gonna? You plan on doing this indefinitely, or do you have a you have any ideas? You know what I I, I no. could care less if I watch the news. I'm not really a big news fan. Well, we, the next but, challenge for Dwight might be after if, maybe if you go like two or three weeks is to turn it back on for one news cycle and see if you aren't shocked by some of the stuff that yeah, you know, you yeah we, we, we do get desensitized you know we've had that experiment with just tv in general yeah. you don't watch it for a long time and then you, then you happen to see it and and it, it and you're, right. you're surprised at what you allow yourself to become calloused to yep, yep. all right well dwight that's a really good feedback and uh appreciate your your observations there and your encouragement sure. uh, to, uh, to to think on things spiritual for and, uh, and God's Word. That's uh, really good. Appreciate uh, what you're doing out there in Iowa. Yeah. Well, you know, one last one last thought. I was I was I was thinking about this. I thought, you know, if if the gospel was listened to and believed that the way that the local and national news is, you think more people would be God fearing. Boy, yep. good point. Good yep. point. I mean, yep. because people take what they hear on the on the evening news or the twenty four hour seven twenty four seven hour twenty four hour seven day a week news, they take that as as gospel truth and they react yeah. to it. What if they took the real gospel truth and reacted to it? Good point. Good point. All right, yeah. Dwight, we appreciate you, man. Hang in there yep. and uh, we, we keep the faith out there in in Iowa. Yep, we'll do. Thanks for having me on. Hey, get ready. Winter's coming, there, Dwight. <laughs> yeah, all too soon. All right, talk to you later. Okay, bye bye. Yeah, I appreciate Dwight for that tonight. Good, uh, good feedback and uh, a good, uh, good challenge for us all to think about those things. All right, let's do, let's do our first question, question real yeah, quick because I think this. it's a good uh, Someone asked, "Is the reason we spell God with a capital G because it's sacred, out of superstition, or simply because our language requires it?" I think they've hit upon the answers. I think it's that last one. I think that's just a. a matter of language and grammar personal pronoun it's he's, it, it's, he it's, a, it's a personal name it's yeah. a, it's a name uh, just like i capital Ky, I capitalize kyle grammar says i should capitalize a proper name 
God's name is a proper name, and so we capitalize it. I, th- I think it's interesting if you do if you if you go back and consider Hebrew, the Hebrew written language. You know, as of course God's people, the first language that they wrote in uh, would would have been Hebrew, and. If any of y'all have ever studied Hebrew, it's really it's crazy. They instead of writing left right, they write right to left. They write backwards. There are no punctuation marks, no commas, no periods, or anything like that, and there are no capital letters either. Uh, and that's one of the things that makes Hebrew a difficult language to study and a difficult language to translate. Because if you, for instance, when they've translated, thankfully they've translated the Hebrew Old Testament into our English language or any other language for that matter, the translators have to work really hard to figure out where the punctuations go because our, our written language depends quite a bit upon how it's punctuated. Mm-hmm. Hebrew has no punctuation, but it also has no capital letters. So the Hebrews would not have capitalized God. They didn't know how to capitalize it. They didn't have capital letters. And by the way, they say you write backwards, not them. That's true. But uh, well, And I was thinking along the lines of not necessarily... God, but the pronouns that we use when speaking about he and him, those are capitalized. Now, that's a question. Now, that's a little different, actually, isn't it? Yeah, that's a different question. And that may be along the ideas at the beginning is sacred or it's it's a a matter of respect. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's superstition. I don't think that I'm going to, I don't think that my house is going to burn down if I fail to capitalize a a pronoun referencing God. But we do that. Now, usually in our Bibles, in our English Bibles, uh, it's tip those pronouns for God, like he or him, are usually not capitalized. But when we write, we usually do. And I think that is a matter of respect for deity. Here's what Kent said. He said, the name of God is sacred in him. We live, move, and have our being, Acts 17, 28. Because and he such, capitalized him. He did. As such is the case, uh, God is worthy of honor, respect, and worship. He is to be feared and loved. When we communicate our thoughts about God, we do so out of the utmost reverence as well as in harmony with the rules of language. In view of such, we always refer to God in written form with the uppercase G. And again, it it is, as he says, honor, respect, and worship. Thank you for that, Kent. Dwight, uh, who we just spoke to, said, out of respect and reverence, we capitalize God's name just as we would any person's name. Also, it is a proper name, and that is the right way to spell it. Also, in Deuteronomy 5, verses 7 through 8, uh, Deuteronomy 5, verses 6 and 7, it says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Capitalized God, I am your God, capital G. Out of the house of slavery, you shall have no other gods, lowercase g, before me. So by capitalizing God's name, it is showing a difference in the Almighty God and the gods of this world. Yeah, and and when it says you shall have no other gods, that's just a generic. You no no other things that you worship. Yeah, and so that's not calling a name. That's just defining a, a, a some thing. Uh, some inanimate thing in the case of idolatrous gods. Uh, so the name of God is capitalized like we capitalize all names. Uh, again, it's, it's, it's grammar, but I think it's also an element of respect when we even in our personal correspondence, we capitalize personal pronouns that refer to God typically. All right. Uh, we'll get a break. When we get back, we'll take number two. What's that question? Actually, I think now this one might be the hardest. Oh, okay. So we go from the easiest to the hardest. 
In 1 Corinthians 7, 12 through 14, what does it mean that the believer's unbelieving wife is sanctified and their children are holy? Ooh, we might need some help with that in the yeah. chat room during yeah, the yeah. break. Jump in there. 1 Corinthians 7, 12 through 14, the, unbeliever, the believer's unbelieving wife and children are sanctified and holy. What does that mean? Send us your thoughts in the uh, comments in the chat room. Don't go anywhere. We're back right after this. Me again, Mike Smith at the College of Church of Christ. Let me ask you some more questions. Do you remember when the pulpit was used for the purpose of convicting sinners and teaching them how to be saved? Are you tired of preachers who seem more inclined to entertain their audience than to teach them the truth? Does it seem that sermons you are, te- you are hearing each week could as easily be given in a PTA meeting or a social club? Do you remember when sin was called sin, and at the end of the sermon you knew, by book, chapter, and verse, what the preacher was talking about and why? Well, we're still preaching the old Jerusalem gospel that you read about in your Bible. We invite you to investigate for yourself. Please come and see the Sunday at the College of Church of Christ at 9.30 a.m. on Hampshire Pike. Here's some quotes worth pondering. Every man of courage is a man of his word. The less religion a church has, the more entertainment it takes to keep it going. No matter how bad your situation, you can lose your temper and make it worse. Steel that loses its temper is worthless. So are men. You cannot raise yourself up by running other people down. Man, wish I'd said that. See, I told you we'd be back. The virtual Bible study continues. We're back on the program tonight as we look at listener-submitted questions. A reminder to you that if you have a question or you think you just know of a question that would be good to discuss in this format, send it in at any time to questions at collegeview.com, and we can have another program like this with your question uh, featured as one of the topics of discussion. Number two tonight. All right. So what about 1 Corinthians 7, 12 through 14? Let's read that. Actually, it starts out with an interesting expression. To the rest speak I, not the Lord, Paul says. And so he's actually, I think the right understanding of how he introduces this particular subject is that this is something that the Lord Jesus, while he was here on earth, did not personally address. Yep. And so he, he says, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to address something that the Lord didn't address, but, but we know that Paul was speaking the inspired word of God, so this is the, the will of God. He says, if any brother hath a wife that believeth not, you need to go back, though, because the, the, earlier in that context, he's talking about an unbelieving spouse that isn't going to stay married or isn't going to stay with the spouse who is believing. They're they're mad about them being religious and being Christian uh, there. Uh, so, um, uh, well, in verse 10, he said, Unto the married I command, yet not I, but the Lord, let not the wife depart her husband, let, and if she depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled. Yep. To her husband, let let not the husband put away his okay, wife. That's right, I'm sorry, sorry, so, yeah. so to married people, he's basically saying, don't divorce. Don't, don't, don't divorce. Yeah. Don't, no divorce. But but now we're going to get into this other situation. Now, but that that notice he said, uh, I command yet not I, but the Lord. The Lord had basically he said, said that. that. Yeah. Yeah. But now he's going to address something that the Lord had not personally addressed. He said, If any brother hath a wife that believeth not, and she be pleased to dwell with him, let him not put her away. And the woman which hath a husband that believeth not, and if he be pleased to dwell with her, let her not leave him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Else were your children unclean, but now are they holy. I actually think that's a challenge. That's a, that's text is a challenge. First of all, let's understand what sanctified means. 
sanctified means set apart, uh, devoted. Uh, uh, Something devoted or set apart for God is sanctified. Now, that word can be used of saved people. Mm Mm-hmm. And Paul actually used that word in First Corinthians, in the same epistle, First Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2, unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all that in every place, called upon the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, both theirs and ours. So, the, uh, Christians can be called sanctified, right? Does this mean then that if an unbeliever is married to believer, that somehow that unbeliever becomes a saved person by virtue of the fact that they're married to a Christian? Well, the answer to that has to be an emphatic no, because all through the Bible we understand that once you you don't inherit sin and you don't inherit righteousness uh, from other people. You're not saved or lost, for that matter, based upon what other people do. In Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 20, uh, this is one of the plainest statements of this, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. The son shall not bear the iniquity of the father, neither shall the father bear the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon him. So, what we're saying is that here in our text in 1 Corinthians 7, when it says the unbeliever is sanctified, it does not mean that that person somehow is saved by virtue of the fact that they stay married to a Christian. It can't mean that. It would be contradictory with other things that the, the scriptures teach. So the word sanctified is is really, we, we refer to it as a church word. It's, we only use it in religious connotation in these days. But it really is just a general word that means something that is set apart, something dedicated, something acceptable. All right. I believe what Paul is talking about here is that he's contrasting, he's actually making a contrast between what was going on there in Corinth in this Christian age in contrast to what it used to be like under the Old Testament law. In the Old Testament law, we understand that God's people were forbidden to be married to people who weren't Israelites. There was a specific law that they were not to marry outside of of uh, the nation of Israel. And when they did so, in order to make it right, they had to actually separate from those marriages. Uh, you remember when the people came back from Babylonian captivity and Ezra found out that they were intermarrying with non-Israelites in Ezra chapter 10, verse 3. Now, therefore, let us make a covenant with the God to put away all the wives and such as are born of them, according to the counsel of my Lord and of those that tremble at the commandment of our Lord and let it be done according to the law. So they had married, and he says, you need to be putting away, you need to sever these relationships. Uh, and they did. Uh, so the chapter goes on, verse 19, they gave their hands that they would put away their wives. And being guilty, they offered a ram of, of the flock for their trespasses. And it even says in verse 44 that among these that had taken some strange wives, some of them had wives by whom they had children, and yet they still separated from them. Notice wives and children. They had married these forbidden wives, and now and they even had children by them. They were still told to sever those marriage relationships. That's how it was under the Old Testament system. Uh, apparently, 
and we don't know this for sure, but apparently some of that notion maybe was had been carried over into among those who were Christians at Corinth. Maybe as Christians we ought to do what the Israelites were commanded to do, what Ezra told them they had to do. Separate from your wives. Even if you've got children by those wives, separate from those wives. Maybe that's what we're supposed to do. We're Christians married to those who were God's people, married to those who are not God's people. Maybe we have to do what they did in the Old Testament. And Paul here is saying no. Paul is actually saying, uh, Paul is actually prohibiting the dissolution of marriage in this context and actually is stating that the marriage of a Christian to a non-Christian is still a legitimate marriage. And in that sense, it's sanctified. It's, 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 it's legitimate. It's dedicated. It is a proper thing. And you don't have to put it, and your children are holy in the sense that they are not some kind of illegitimate children born to marriages that shouldn't even be in existence. Okay. I think that, to me, that's the, that's how I understand that text. It's a challenging text. Could it have uh, some connection with First Peter chapter 3, verse 1 and verse 2? Likewise, you wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may be won without the conversation, uh, maybe won without the word by the conversation of the wives while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. Could it be talking, could that sanctification of the husband or the wife and the children being made holy, could that be in reference to the influence that that believing spouse could have well, on the would, family? Sure. That, I think that would be the, 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 the goal, the hope of any husband married to an unbelieving wife or wife married to an unbelieving husband. But I don't think the context promises that. No, no, that wouldn't, that wouldn't be a guarantee, but this, this says it actually is. So in other words, this, it, this doesn't say the husband might be sanctified by the wife or the wife might be sanctified by the husband. It says the wife is sanctified by the husband. The husband is sanctified by the wife. So this this is not stating a possibility. In other words, the believer might convert his unbelieving spouse. That's a maybe. That's a hope so. But this is saying something that actually is. The wife is sanctified by her husband. The husband, the unbelieving wife is sanctified by her believing husband. The unbelieving husband is sanctified by his unbelieving wife. I think it's talking about the fact that these are acceptable marriage. This is simply saying that these kind of marriages are not forbidden under the law of Christ as they were under the law of Moses. All right. Uh, Let's hear your comments in the chat room tonight. Here's what Dwight says. God ordained the marriage between husband and wife, even though one is believing and the other is not. God would have them stay together because their marriage is what is sanctified. So also by the actions of the believing individual, this could cause the unbeliever to become a Christian. First Peter 3, 1 and 2 says, In the same way you wives be submissive to your own husbands, so that if even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives as they observe your chaste, uh, your chaste and respectful behavior. So he's tying that in with First Peter 3 where you were But just... he also says that they, uh, their marriage is what is sanctified. Yeah. So. Here's what Kent in Calhoun, Georgia says. He says, First Corinthians 7, 12 through 14 is not discussing sanctification as it relates to salvation in Christ. The term sanctification as used here discusses a setting apart as it relates to marriage. Under the Old Testament, such marriages would have been considered unlawful, therefore sinful. However, in the gospel age, such marriages would be considered acceptable. God does not require a Christian to divorce their mate because their mate is a non-Christian. Presupposing marriage partners are qualified to enter into marriage, in other words, assuming that you're married to a legitimate uh, marriage partner, uh, the, the, uh, 
the case being that one of them, if one of them were a non-Christian, would not invalidate the marriage. Such implies that the children would be holy or legitimate and marriage itself also be legitimate. You guys have been talking again, haven't you? You know, I actually didn't read Kent's because I, Kent and I usually see things so much like I didn't want to be colored by his explanation. And so I, I, his explanation is completely independent of mine and mine of his, and but we still come to the same place. All right. Well, we've got two minutes. Can we get another one in or should we go uh, let's, let's, let's wait. Let's wait. Let's grab a break and we'll come back. We're going to go to question three. This is this is a, a an interesting question, and I, and I sure would hope that we get some feedback from our in our chat room. How do we generate enthusiasm with our current members? Hmm. Let's see about that. All right, and I guess we need to talk about what kind of enthusiasm we want to generate. Yeah. All right. Don't go anywhere. We'll take up that question right after we get this week's bullet point. We're back right after this. Are you listening? There's going to be a test on this stuff. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. We readily acknowledge the importance of positive preaching. Brethren need the comfort of the scriptures, Romans 15, verse 4. Paul sent Tychicus to Ephesus so that he could comfort your hearts. Timothy was dispatched to Philippi and Thessalonica in order to comfort the brethren. Clearly, this kind of positive encouragement is essential. The Bible has much to say about it. No one denies it. There are, however, some among us who are determined to only preach positive things. They want to specialize in positive preaching and to emphasize only those things which they claim are designed to build up the hearers. They will not deal with controversial topics. They refuse to spend time rebuking the sins and weaknesses that exist in men's lives. This positive approach fails to present the whole counsel of God, Acts 20, verse 27, and at least two serious consequences will follow. Christians will not be admonished to root out the evil that is in their lives. We must put off the old man, Colossians 3, verse 9 says. We will never become the new man that we ought to until we have been instructed adequately in this regard. Secondly, Christians will become conditioned to only want this sort of teaching and preaching. After having a steady diet of positive emphasis, brethren will lose all tolerance for forceful preaching on important doctrinal and moral issues. The Apostle Paul anticipated such a scenario. In 2 Timothy 4, verse 3, he said, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. We are not at liberty to be specialists in only one aspect of the work. If we emphasize the positive while neglecting the negative, we have not done, quote, the work of an evangelist, 2 Timothy 4, verse 5. Our job involves both positive and negative. We are to reprove, rebuke, and exhort. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. Hey, Mommy. I'm too old. Um, this is the virtual Bible study. Now that you've had your break, it's back to the program. We're back on the program. Reminding this program is brought to you by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Find out about us at our website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com or collegeview.com. Kyle, any updates on the uh, the streaming of the services? Yeah, we uh, continue our studies in Genesis, which I did update the playlists. Uh, we, you know, we uh, just now this July and August we've. Uh, resumed our almost almost a year we've done a study of genesis so it's like and we're almost done yeah. but we had a so, big break there we had about yeah. a three-month break where we didn't have sunday so, morning bible classes yeah. and so uh it's been we've been in it about a year but we yeah. weren't we weren't actually able to be active for part of that time yeah. all right that's good and okay. i was actually the, uh i was actually just today laying out plans for what we will do when we finish genesis we're very close to the end of genesis on sunday morning exodus we're actually not going to do oh. that. We have done that before. Right. Uh, but 
I have some material from Sewell Hall. Many of our listeners will recognize the name Sewell Hall. And he's put together some lessons on personal godliness that looks really interesting. I think it would be a good study. Okay. All right. So, you well, if you're not in the area, you can still catch that on. On the stream, Kyle. You can yeah. put it out there for everybody. Yeah, definitely. All right. Uh, if you've got questions or comments about anything you, you've heard on the program, questions at collegeview.com is the email address to use. We'd love to hear from you. We're talking about listener questions tonight. Number three is how do we generate enthusiasm with our current members? Got so a couple of people in the, in the chat room here chiming in. Now, I think it's important to, to emphasize we're talking about current members because – there's there's two things that we want to do. One is we want to reach, we want to evangelize, we want to reach out to those who are not yet Christians. And that's a very important consideration. We talk a lot about that. How can we do it? How can we do something different? How can we make an, a, a new approach to try and reach new people? In fact, for instance, here at College View, uh, starting this week, we're, we're going to start doing some mass mailings. In fact, they went to the, they went to the, mail, the mail distribution office today. And uh, we're going to try to do some mass mailings in our immediate community. We, we do all of that with the intention of trying to reach new people, convert the lost. Yeah. I think it's really important. But it's also really important that we edify those who are already Christians, build them up, strengthen them. The, the questioner says, how do we generate enthusiasm? I, I would say enthusiasm is part of that edification process. Okay. So how do we do it? Dwight says denominationalists would suggest potlucks, bingo, bands, entertainment. God's law does not uh, say that any of these things are the work of the church. And so uh, Dwight says you might, some would use carnal means to uh, tr- to energize uh, their members. Guest 5084 says maybe enthusiasm would naturally exist, exist if brothers and sisters were friendly to each other, smiled and greeted each other, and showed care and concern as we're supposed to. Sometimes at church, I'm ignored, excluded from conversations, or even simply overlooked in spite of my efforts to reach out and be friendly. We're supposed to prefer each other, are we not? Well, yes. I I think obviously yes, and that's sort of a sad commentary. I mean, uh, congregation, but I got to tell you, I have known of, I have attended congregations. I don't think I've ever been a member of a congregation like that, but I have attended places where, I mean, Less than five minutes after the final amen is said, the place is vacated and the parking yep. lot is empty. Yep. Uh, to me, that's just an indication that there's something wrong with the interpersonal relationships that exist there. And I do think that it is easier to be enthusiastic about what a local congregation is doing if you feel a, a connectivity, a relationship kind of thing. So building personal relationships, I believe that's what our, our, uh, person in the chat room is suggesting and i think that is helpful the better we have interpersonal relationships i think the more enthusiastic we'll be about working together in the kingdom lou says uh he agrees being an introvert it's hard to reach out to our brothers and sisters in christ that being said learning more about god's word says love god and love people so i am encouraged to do so thanks okay. for that, lou. Appreciate exactly that. right lou yep all right so what uh what do you suggest I don't know if you caught in one of our quotes, uh, one of our um, quote sections earlier, uh, we said, the less religion a church has, the more entertainment Heard it that. takes to keep it going. Heard that. Yeah. Uh, so uh, we, I think to, to really be, as, as Lou says, 
really be into God's word, you know, really make that a, 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 a the main emphasis of what we do together is emphasizing God's word. That's important because there are multiple ways to energize people. Yeah. I mean, fireworks would energize people. That's yeah. not what God wants. Especially to. if there's a misfire. <laughs> True. Catches you know, your you, hair on fire. You, you, do the, you do those indoor fireworks like they do at that one church up in Nashville. Yeah. And if you have a misfire, I'm telling people get excited in a hurry. And Sister Smith's <laughs> hair's going up in flames. That'll get things going. Hey, but... Uh, but the enthusiasm, as you said, it needs to be spiritual enthusiasm. We need to be in, excited about God's word and doing his will in our lives. That's where the enthusiasm can, needs to be. And if we're not careful, we can really get off track on that and uh, and begin to shift our focus away from of that and, and encouraging spiritual growth. Yeah. And, and you know, if, if this sort of thing is sort of contagious, if you tell me about some... Some, and we're not doing our works to be seen of men. I don't want to leave that impression. But if you tell me about something that you've successfully been able to, you know, uh, uh, with your neighbor, for instance, you had a chance to talk to your neighbor and you, and you used, you used this subject to, to sort of open the door and get, get a discussion going. Yeah. And, uh, and, and man, you're really glad to know. It worked that, good. That and it worked you good. might want to try it with your neighbor. Yeah. Uh, you know, sharing those kinds of, of positive stories. If, if I know that my fellow Christians in the local congregation are hard at work, it makes me want to be more hard at work. And so I, I do think it's sort of enthusiasm is contagious. And, and so we, 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 it can't be artificial. It can't be some sort of put on kind of thing, but if if we're on fire for the Lord and we show it, other people will will catch the fire too. And it needs to be, uh, I mean, it needs to be that spiritual focus. It could be something as simple as, "Hey, I was studying this the other day and I saw this thing I hadn't seen before." Sharing that, maybe if you mentioned some class material that's good. You might say, hey, "I've been reading this material that so and so put together, and it was really encouraging." Those kind of things could really get someone encouraged. Yeah, way. yeah, I think so. Okay. Um. Uh, One of our emailers saying, "Here's what Kent said: uh, We need to generate enthusiasm among members of local churches of Christ by the authority of the Scriptures, Colossians 3:17. If we seek to generate enthusiasm in any other way, such as empty, shallow, emotional, unauthorized, and sinful." Okay. All right, good, good. Um, and then uh, Dwight again, Dwight. Yeah, this is a good question. First, the Scripture tells us to love one another and to build each other up. The way we do that is through the scriptures. Enthusiasm is built by increasing the faith of one another. It's done by being encouraging to others, be the encourager, and not just being encouraged. Singing songs is a great way to build enthusiasm. Hebrews 13, verse 16 says, And do, do not neglect doing good and sharing, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. And so I uh, appreciate those comments. From All right, Dwight. good. That's a, that's a great challenge. The questioner... Uh, has suggested a great challenge, and we want to do that. We want to build enthusiasm scripturally. We don't want to do it artificially by fun and games. And and and, and as was mentioned in the chat room, we don't want to use unauthorized activities to try and generate some kind of false sense of enthusiasm. But true enthusiasm for you know what the Bible word is zeal, and we're told to be zealous. And so it's this thing we need to develop. You know, I like Kent's their idea of of enthusiasm being shallow you know sometimes i think you know if we feel like somebody needs to be encouraged let's go eat a hot dog together let's go let's go to the ball game together or something i mean there's there's value in that but and, uh, and now i'm real discouraged because 
we haven't been to a ball game and I can't remember when. Yeah. You know, and, and I can't, and I can't think of the last time, especially during this coronavirus business, we haven't been able to go out, uh, and, you know, eat a hamburger, eat a hamburger together. And, and I'm just depressed. I'm down. My enthusiasm is shot because we haven't been able to do these things. Well, that's false enthusiasm. That's not the kind of enthusiasm we want. But again, Kyle, I think it's, I think it can be shallow at times if we're not careful. Our, our association needs to be primarily spiritual. We're, we're really, we're, we're not, it's not just the social, but it's the spiritual where I'm encouraging you spiritually and you likewise. I think it's, it's almost like a, a dangerous, Thing which I want, I want everybody to be enthusiastic about coming to worship, and you know I'm I'm looking forward to seeing my brethren. I want to spend time and you know singing with them and talking with them after, see what's going on in their lives. But also we need to make sure that it's not coming from a place of uh, that I need to be excited. They need to excite me when I go to church. Whatever's right. happening, they need to make sure that they're entertaining me. We also need to make sure that it's like uh, I think it's a dangerous, but we can be looking for greener pastures. Like, if they're not entertaining me at church, then maybe somewhere else I can go to reinvigorate me. I just think we need to make sure it's uh, it's coming from a place of, you know, hope. We want to make sure that we're enthusiastic. I, I, yeah, and, and t- t- uh, what you just said touched on a point that I think is essential. Too many people view it as, I need to be served. You, you yeah. need to make me feel good. You need to equip me up into an excitement. Well, what am I doing to to enthousi- uh, enthusiastically motivate you? Yeah. You know, the, the people who have that outlook are all about me. It's about me. I'm not getting served here. I'm not getting what I feel I need. Well, what are you giving back? Yeah. You know, that's, the it, 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 that's the way it, it ought to be viewed. Yeah. yeah. All right. Good comments. Good comments, and definitely something we need to we need to be we need to be working at uh, generating enthusiasm among others. All right. All right. Let's Thanks to whoever asked that question. Thanks for asking. Let's start this next one, and we may have to, I think we'll, we'll probably uh, go over uh, into our next segment. But So here's what someone wrote. Obviously, they, they're not very happy about this whole situation. So you make one wrong decision, and then boom, you're out of God's club, out of the God club. I didn't, I didn't know he had one. Well, that's the way they said it. Okay. No, this person says No. How do you weigh out sin then? What makes this sin worse than that sin? Sin is sin, and if this is true, then each time we mess up, we're kicked out of the heaven we're, we, that has been promised to us. That's putting God in a box. Okay. All right. So what about this? This this question has been around forever, I'm sure. Uh, a, a number of years ago, probably... 30 years ago, 30-ish years ago, maybe a little more than that, actually. Uh, it, it became a real hot-button topic among churches of Christ, and people were taking all kinds of, I think, kind of crazy views on this. And it, it was it was sort of uh, what some people came up with was that God had some sort of automatic cleansing methodology that if you sin... One preacher even said it's like windshield wipers, windshield wipers, windshield wipers on a car. God's just grace just washes it away and just sweeps it away. Every time you send it, just, uh, and, and so they, they taught some kind of notion of continuous cleansing. That was sort of the issue of the day. Uh, because they were trying to, they were trying to deal with this question and I think they were dealing with it falsely. They didn't have the right answer. 
every time I sin, I lose my salvation and I'm, I'm out. I'm, I'm doomed to hell until I repent and pray for forgiveness and then I come back in I'm in and I'm out I'm in and I'm out and how does you know it's a it's a bookkeeping nightmare some people suggested well, <laughs> uh, I'm not worried about God's bookkeeping I think God's fully he's capable got, he's got he, that. He, he can keep up yeah. he can keep yeah. the books up I don't think there's any problem about yeah. that I think the answer to the question is another question yeah the, the answer to the question is name the sin what sin are you talking about yeah. Okay, so name a sin. I told a lie. So what am I what what should I do about the lie? Just not worry about it because God'll overlook it. I'm still in his club. I'm still in the God club. That's what no. He hasn't he hasn't he hasn't uh, you, you, had, you haven't put him in a box. I haven't put God in a box. No, 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 I'm no, still no. in his club. Got it. Is that the answer? No. The Bible answer you, you when you tell me what the sin is, I'll tell you what the answer is. The answer is Repent and pray for forgiveness for the Christian. Yeah. Uh, for the alien sinner, it's obey the gospel and be saved. But no, in other words, the problem is we're trying to deal with generalities here. Be specific. T- tell me what the sin is. I'll tell you what to do about it. Well, and the, and the, and the, the questioner really gets to the heart of matter. How do you weigh out sin? What makes this sin worse than that sin? And sin is sin. And so that, that being the case, I can say murder is equivalent to telling a white lie. Telling a white lie. I mean, so are you going to say, well, you can murder and God's God's fine with that? You can no, 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 you can't. Do, but the white lie is okay. Yeah, you, you see, were to mind. You were but, to mind. Yeah. But see, what you're doing is you, you are then establishing a hierarchy of sins. Right. God didn't do that. Yeah. But you did. You said, well, no, I was, so I stole your car. What do I have to do? Well, that person would say. Well, you got to give the car back. Yeah. I stole a piece of bubble gum at the convenience store. Ah, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Well, who says? Yeah. I mean, you're legislating where God didn't legislate. He said, let him that stole steal no more, Ephesians 4, verse 28. That applies to all stealing. And so name the sin, and we'll tell you what to do about the sin. But but this idea that some sins don't matter, some are not so serious, that I can sin and still be in the God club, that's that's not that's not biblical. That's not in the Word of God. Yeah. Let's grab a break and see what our uh, emailers hey, said. Before we uh, before we go, I uh, guess fifty eighty four uh, uh, adds a little bit more to our discussion about encouraging. It's tough sometimes, Lou, and I would disagree that getting a hamburger with a brother is shallow because it's with a brother who shares similar eternal thoughts and beliefs. And I cherish these simple things when I'm surrounded by sin and sinful people, except for when I'm at church or with brothers or sisters socially. I agree. So. I, I, I guess we need to be careful about the, the comments, but it needs to be deeper than the hamburger. Yeah, yeah. If it's uh, that, sure. I I do enjoy spending social time together with brethren. That's a positive thing. But it's got to go deeper than. But that. if if that's all it is, it's not enough. Yeah, yeah. Because I could have that. I could have that sort of social interaction with people who don't even believe in God. Yeah, yeah. So it has to be deeper than that. But yeah. sure, that's that's a great thing. It's a positive thing. Yeah, we don't want we don't leave that impression. Yeah. Thanks for clarifying that. All right, we're going to get a break and go to the top of the hour. Uh, we'll get our listeners' comments on that, that question number four. And then number five? Number five is, can you be taught wrong and baptized right? All right. Don't go anywhere. We're back right after this. Got a question about something you've heard on the virtual Bible study? Send your questions to questions at collegeview.com. We'll be right back after this. 
Hi, I'm Jeremy Fralix. I'm a member of uh, College View Church of Christ here in Columbia, Tennessee, and I have a few words to say. Occasionally, we hear parents who say that they don't want to force religion on their children. These misguided folks think they're doing their kids a favor by letting them decide for themselves. They're afraid that there will be some resentment in their children later if religion had been crammed down their throats. If we may be absolutely blunt in response, that is one of the most ridiculous ideas anyone ever suggested. We force many things on our children. We insist that they bathe, brush their teeth, change their clothes, etc. We cram education down their throats by making them attend school regularly. We demand that they do their homework. We force them to eat good food, get adequate rest, and do other things that are important to their health and development. We do all of this because we know it is in their best interest, and we do it even when the kids don't like it. Why is it this such a common sense approach is neglected by parents who are determined to let the kids decide for themselves when it comes to religion? Dr. James Dobson writes, There's a critical period when certain kinds of instruction are easier in the life of children. There is a brief period during childhood when youngsters are vulnerable to religious training. Their concepts of right and wrong are formulated during this time, and their views of God begin to solidify. The opportunity of that period must be seized when it is available. The absence or misapplication of instruction through that prime time period may place a severe limitation on the depths of the child's later devotion to God. When parents withhold indoctrination from their small children, allowing them to decide for themselves, the adults are almost guaranteeing that the youngsters will decide in the negative. God's word has always taught us the truth on the subject. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Proverbs 22.6 We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. A new survey shows that most evangelical Protestants support women taking on leadership roles in the church. According to the survey, 7 out of 10 said they were in favor of women preaching during church services, and a majority of those said they would support women preaching also on Sunday morning. That information is via Christianity Today. The Word of God says in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 34, Women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. God's Word has the answers. Let's get back to studying it. The virtual Bible study rolls oh. along. And hey, we're back on the program tonight, going to the top of the hour, taking our listeners' questions. And we asked, uh, we put out number four before we went to the break about... Uh, sin and when does sin separate you from God. Here's what Mohan says. I believe we're continually walking the light as disciples of Jesus as long as we repent and confess. The blood continues to cover us. However, if we're not consistent and are struggling with a uh, besetting sin problem, it may be the case we're in and out until there's true repentance. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think that's right, Mohan. Uh, so, I've got this. Uh, just name a problem. Okay, let's just pick a... You're a kleptomaniac. You can't stop No, let's that pick one gun. that's even more probably practical. Uh, pornography. Pornography is a huge problem. And so here's, here I am. I'm dealing with the problem of pornography. So I know it's wrong. And I was looking at stuff and I shouldn't have looked at it. And, I, and so I repented. And I prayed and God forgave me. But the next day I looked at it again. What well, was it? Is it okay? Can I continue to do that? No. The next day if I look at it, I need to repent and pray for God to look. In other words, God, it is it, 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 as as Mohan said. In the case of a besetting sin problem, it may be the case that we're in and out until there's true repentance. Until I really get over that problem, every time I every every time I commit that sin, I'm going back against what I repented of and confessed about and prayed to God to forgive me about. Uh, so you know, I, I think people are too worried about in and out of God's grace. Let God take care of that. You just do what you got to do. Yeah. And what you got to do is repent. 
Right. And until you get true repentance, you've got a problem. There you go. Yeah. I like that answer. Kyle? Yeah, I think we're putting ourselves in a box necessarily when we're separating oh. ourselves from God. Good oh. point. Good putting point. Con- I mean, putting so, ourselves in a box. Well, I mean, yeah, we're separating ourselves from God when we choose to sin, when we choose mm-hmm. to fall back. I mean, so God is always going to be there. He's so there. I think you're exactly You know, uh, years ago when this was a big hot-button topic, uh, a preacher that many of our listeners will recognize his name. He's passed away now, but his name is Robert Turner. Robert Turner said, don't be whittling on God's end of the stick. You know, how God does that, whether you're in or out or in or out or when you're in or when you're out, that's God's business. You just take care of your business. Don't whittle on God's end of the stick. You take care of your end of the stick, and your end of the stick is repent and make sure you do it. Okay. All right. Uh, Dwight says uh, that, is, that is true, that sin is sin in the sight of God. We're all sinners and have come short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. That said, we also have repentance. Repentance is how we get back in God's graces when we fail. First John 1, verse 9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Simon in 8, Acts 8, 13-23 was told to repent, and he believed and was baptized. So he, Simon was told to repent when he had committed sin. We're told to repent. Uh, appreciate those comments from Dwight. And here's what Kent says. Kent says, The real- reality of sin breaks one's fellowship with God, Isaiah 59, okay. 1 and 2. Stop right there. Your sins have separated between you and your God and hid his face that he will not hear you, Isaiah 59. What sin is is that talking about? Your sins have separated between you and your God. Well, murder, grand theft auto, but not just telling a little white lie or stealing a piece of bubble gum. Says who? Yeah. Your sins. Sin separates us from God. Okay. He says this, and he references Romans 3.23 and 6.23. This truth is not an opinion of uninspired humanity. It is an eternal comp- a component of divine revelation. All sin, whether one or many, are equally fatal insofar as fellowship with God is concerned. While all sin destroys our fellowship with God, some sins have greater consequences in this life than others. For example, murdering an individual brings greater problems in this life than telling a lie about an individual. Committing adultery or fornication while married can bring greater consequences to the guilty partner than overspending their finances. Such is demonstrated in Matthew 5.32 and 19.9 by God giving the innocent partner the right for a scriptural divorce. Such is not the case where a marriage partner overspends. We must keep in mind that not only sin separates us from the fellowship of God, God also has a plan for to forgive accountable individuals of their sins based upon his divine grace and the sacrifice of Christ in two different ways. Number one, through our positive response and obedience to the gospel for the non-Christian, faith in Christ, repentance of sin, confession of Christ, and baptism for their mission of sin, and restoration of fellowship for fallen covenant of children of God, repentance, confession of sin, and prayer. None of us are perfect, even Christians sin. All of us who are accountable stand in need of the mercy and grace of God. God will forgive when we obey his conditions on forgiveness, such as not putting God in a box, such as recognizing the limitations that God has placed upon himself. God never acts in such a way to be inconsistent with his nature and revealed will. God can never cease to be God. Therefore, he will always act in ways that are consistent with himself and his revealed will. Real quickly, and we're going to have to go quick to get to this last question, but back in the day when this was really being debated, uh, someone presented this scenario. So here's a guy. He's a Christian. He's a saved person. He's a good He's a good guy. He's walking along the street on a rainy day, and and a uh, a bus comes along. Just as he's going past a mud puddle, a bus comes along and 
splashes muddy water all over him on the sidewalk. He steps out in the street and starts cussing the bus driver and not knowing another car comes along, runs over and kills him. Mm-hmm. Kills him before he could repent oh boy. Of, of cussing out that bus that splashed uh-huh. muddy water on him. Yep. What about that, they say? What oh, about that? Boy. In other words, if, if there's not some sense of continuous cleansing, then you've got that guy who died in his sins. He was, he was typically a good Christian. He just lost his temper. Uh, but he died in that fit of rage. And you've got him going to hell now because what about that? Well, you know what my answer to that is? My answer to that is I'm going to let God take care of that. That's the same question about the guy who dies on his way to be baptized. So here's a guy who's not been baptized, and he's he's going to the preacher's taking him to the river to baptize him. And just as they're about to step into the river so that he can be baptized, a limb falls out of a tree, hits him in the head, and kills him before he could be baptized. You mean tell me that guy's going to go to hell? I'm going to leave that up to God. I can't do anything about that. But if you ask me what must I do to be saved, I'll say repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. The guy who got run over after cussing the bus driver, what about him? God's going to take care of that. I think there's nothing I can do about but that. But what I can work but, on but, me, not... But what I can do is, is, is personally control outbursts of rage and wrath and teach others to do the same. And when, I'm, when I fail in that, to repent of it. So, you know, all these hypotheticals don't prove a thing. Just preach the word. There you go. All right. Soapbox is now retired. Number no, five. No, it's not soapbox. I'm That's just kidding. I'm kidding. It is. It is. All right. All right. Quickly. It's a soapbox, five. isn't it, Kyle? Uh, yeah, I, I saw it. You saw it. Righteous soapbox. Okay. <laughs> All right. Number five. Can a person be taught wrong and baptized right? The questioner says, I've heard this expression many times. I'm going to give a quick answer to that. I think the answer is a person cannot be taught wrong and baptized right. And I'm, I'm going to base my answer, and I haven't looked at and I'm wondering. Okay, if, I'm looking. I'm, I'm wondering looking. if Ken's going to go to this, but uh, I'm going to base my answer on Romans chapter 6. In Romans oh, cha- you looked. I know you no, did. No, I didn't. I really didn't. Verses 6, 17, and 18. Yeah. Oh, you looked. No, in Romans 6, the context is talking about baptism. Uh, verse 3, know you not that as many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death, and now there, therefore we are buried with him by baptism. So the context discusses baptism, and in that context, verse 17, Paul says about these Romans, God be thanked that you were the servants of sin, but you have, note, obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. What was the doctrine that had been delivered? What, what doctrine had they obeyed? Obviously, part of that doctrine they obeyed was to be baptized. So, but their their obedience was from the heart. You can't obey from the heart. You can't be baptized as a part of your obedience from the heart if you don't understand what it's about. You have to know that. You have to understand. You have to be properly taught about that. So, what about specifically? What about those who teach baptism is a good thing to do? But it's not necessary for salvation. You should be baptized just to show that you've already been saved. That's what a lot of our Baptist friends teach, for instance. Well, if they're teaching that about baptism, they're teaching the wrong purpose of baptism. Therefore, the person who is baptized is not being baptized for the right reason. It is not obedience from the heart. So they're, they're baptized, but their baptism is not right because they were taught wrong. Well, let's see what Kent said. It's, uh, he's going to say the same thing. One cannot be taught wrong and baptized right. When it comes to obedience to God in all areas, there are two critical factors. 
are crucial factors, proper motive and proper design. One must have a proper motive to be baptized in a scriptural manner, a sincere desire to obey God. One must also properly understand the design for being baptized, Romans 6, verses 17 and 18 that you mentioned. While the design for baptism is stated in varying expressions in the New Testament, all of them express the connection to that of the remission or forgiveness of sins and entrance into the one body, of those who are saved, the New Testament church. Any form of baptism, even though it may consist of immersion in water, would not be New Testament baptism, any other form of baptism. Yeah. Okay. All right, thank you for that. And here's what Mohan said up in, in Illinois. We cannot be taught wrong the plan of salvation to be baptized right. Denominational baptize, baptism, which believes you are baptized after you are saved, is invalid. All right. Uh uh, Kent, uh, and then finally, Dwight, and we're just out of time, but Dwight makes an interesting observation. I think it's possible, he says, to have been baptized right, meaning for the remission of sins with immersion, but be misguided on things like marriage, divorce, and remarriage, or even the proper understanding of things such as the Holy Spirit and miracles. That may take time to learn, especially if you were taught incorrectly about them in the past. I amen to that, Dwight. Uh, so uh, to, to Dwight's point, which I think is a good point, you don't have to know everything to be baptized right. But you have to know what you're doing when you're baptized to be obeying from the heart. That part of it. You have to understand certain basics about what you're doing and why in order for it to be from the heart. But even when Jesus gave the Great Commission in Matthew 28, verse 19, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost teaching them to observe all things I've commanded you. So he said, teach them, baptize them, teach them some more. So obviously even the Great Commission uh, uh, implies that a person won't know everything when they're baptized. All right. That's a good question and a good way to end the program tonight because we are out of time. Uh, Kyle, uh, comments from your side of the board tonight? That's a good study. I think I love these kind of programs. It's good. Yeah, they are. They're more interesting, aren't they? Yeah. Well, I mean, maybe not more interesting, yeah, but they certainly are interesting <laughs> uh, when we get the listeners' uh, questions and things that uh, folks want to want to hear discussed and uh, again we'll ask you to send those questions or comments into questions at collegeview.com for uh, consideration on a future edition of the virtual bible study don't have to have a question that you don't know the answer to you may think you know the answer to it but you just like to have it discussed maybe you think it'd make for a good discussion send it in we'd love to consider it for a future edition of the program any final thoughts tonight dad no i appreciate people though who do correspond with us so send them in or just send an email and say you're listening yeah we'd like to hear that uh, and we appreciate that. Thanks for uh, thanks for your time tonight, Dad. Thanks, Jacob. Enjoyed being with you. Enjoyed with being with you on the other end of the line tonight. I hope you benefited from our study and discussion of God's Word. I hope you make plans to be back at this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word of the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.